Hi, welcome to the Smarter Coaching Podcast. My name is Sam Cowan, and I'm your host. Thanks for finding us. If you've not already done so, I'd appreciate you subscribing at iTunes or at Stitcher for the Smarter Coaching Podcast. And please leave a review and a rating. That really helped me out. You can also download the podcast and read show notes at my website, smartercoachingllc.com. And from there, you can also email me. The email address is smartercoachingllc at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter for announcements about upcoming podcasts. My Twitter handle is smartercoaching. Please leave any tips, suggestions that you might have for me. I really greatly appreciate it. So with that said, let me turn you over to today's episode. Hey, today's guest is Steve Boyle from 241 Sports, and uh, Steve and I crossed paths at a conference in Denver uh, back about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, and I really like Steve's message about um, getting kids involved in multi-sport sampling, physical literacy, being better movers, and I think Steve's story is a pretty interesting one, uh, which I'll let him tell uh, Steve was a former Division One basketball player and um, had kids, you know, grew up in a big family, had kids himself who played sports, and he tells a, a, a really sad story about what happened when uh, his daughter was nine years old, and uh, he proposed to the soccer coach that maybe she wants to try other sports about what happened, so I don't want to steal his thunder on that. Steve and I talk about his uh, work with uh, camps and clinics and trying to get more physical literacy in schools. And I really like his, uh, the whole two for one sport thing is great. Like life is too short for one sport. And that, that hits me. There's something about marketing terms or, um, maybe even acronyms that really attract me. And I really love the fact that he melded that into something really cool. And, uh, Steve talks about the, uh, his ABCDE approach to, um, to sampling into sports and I really like that and I'll let him tell you what that is and um, we talk a little bit about mindfulness and uh, with this one thing I neglected to do was to ask Steve how people can get in touch with him his website is 241sports.com and you can follow him on twitter at 241sports and it's all run together there's the number two the number four and the number one sports and he's uh he's pretty good on twitter so uh, with that said I'm going to turn it over to my interview with Steve Boyle from 2 for 1 Sports. Hey, I'm here with uh, Steve Boyle from 2 for 1 Sports, and that is 2-4-1 Sports. And um, Steve and I crossed paths in Denver, oh, I don't know, a year and a half or so ago at a conference that Dave McCann put on, and I really liked his message and wanted to get him on the podcast. Uh, so, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sam. It's uh, great to catch up with you again. I appreciate uh, being welcomed. Yeah. So, Steve, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to start Two for One Sports. Oh, boy. I, I, you know, it's funny. As you as you get older, this story seems to get a little bit longer, but uh, I'll try to give you the, the the quick version as best I can. So I'm, I'm one of eight kids uh, born to Irish immigrants. I grew up in upstate New York with five brothers and two sisters and 77 first cousins. So my play dates were, <laughs> were, were siblings and cousins uh, growing up. I went to an all-boys Catholic military high school, so I had the Christian brothers in the U.S. Army fighting for young boys' minds, and uh, 
was a multi-sport athlete in high school and uh, was lucky enough to walk on to a Division One basketball team after I was told I could never play Division One. And as an 18-year-old, got to start against Notre Dame in Madison Square Garden, and uh, the rest is history, as they say. But uh, wow. from there, I um, fell in love with the concept of helping people and working with people through uh, also being involved in campus ministry at the school. And I started teaching on the Lower East Side of Manhattan right out of college at an all-boys school, and then I ran a camp for kids with cancer during the summer, which is where I asked my wife to marry me. Thank God she said yes, because that would have been awkward. Um, She and I decided to move someplace where we didn't know anybody, and we actually moved out to Seattle, Washington, um, inspired then, actually, by – it's a crazy side story, but if you remember the show The White Shadow from the uh, the 80s. I do. Salami, uh, Timmy Van Patten, was a volunteer at the camp, and he had just moved, had bought some property in Seattle and convinced us we needed to move out there. So anyway, that's a side story. We went out there. Uh, Carrie and I coached um, at uh, Holy Names Academy, which is an all-girls school in Seattle, and I coached at O'Day High School. And once we had kids, we decided – we had our oldest. We decided to move back east. Um, the story goes that we interviewed from Maine to D.C., but we had trouble finding a place in a boarding school where we thought it would be a good place to raise a family. So we just said, hey, hey let's just – whoever gets the good job, the other person will go back to school and get their master's. So – I always okay. tell people that I always tell people that I won because she got the good job and I uh, I got to go get my my uh, my <laughs> masters in in, uh, in school counseling. So I had been uh, Carrie had been an athletic director at a local private school and I had been coaching and counseling at a very competitive large public high school. And so now the the baby that had been born in Seattle was now nine years old and she had just gotten. Um, tried out for the local travel soccer team. And so I, I want to bring you up to – this brings you to the start of 241 with a little background. So she tried out for the local uh, travel soccer team, and we get the phone call. Your daughter's our number one prospect. And we're like, all right, dude, she's nine years old. She can't be anybody's prospect, but whatever. <laughs> so he goes on and on about how she's going to fit into his Brazilian-style system. And, and so for about 15 minutes, I – you know, and I have my ego stroke because I'm a young parent. It's my – my oldest of three, I'm thinking, all right, she's a good athlete. But then I just say to him, well, look, my wife played lacrosse in college, and Alana's showing some interest in lacrosse. Mm-hmm. That's all I said. And he goes yeah. radio silent on me and says, hold on a second, as if he's going to go talk to the manager in the back of the car dealership. <laughs> and he comes, comes back and he says, we're no longer interested. So simply because my nine-year-old showed interest in trying lacrosse, she was now cut from the travel soccer team for which she was told she was the number one prospect. So Carrie and I were dumbfounded. I mean, I can't repeat for to you what I said to the guy, but I went to Carrie that night and said, well, we could shout from the mountaintops and tell everybody how bad this is, or we can infiltrate and do something about it. So we came up with the tagline, life's too short for just one sport, which is where 241 comes from. And we started, a, we started a camp for girls that summer. Um, and we did girls because, you know, I had three daughters. Uh, we knew the local market. I was coaching girls at the, at the high school level. Um, and what happened that summer was, when the moms dropped off their daughters, they were holding the hands of little boys who said, can I come to this camp? And we thought, well, yeah, next year we'll, we'll add a week of boys. 
within two years, we had outgrown the space, and we had to move to a new site, um, and from there, it just took off. So, um, you know, I met you in Denver at the Youth Sport Project, which was a follow-up from Project Play, which uh, the Aspen Institute sponsored and recognized us as one of eight model programs in the United States. I mean, I say that now, and I really can't believe that my moment of outrage about this guy telling my kids she couldn't play soccer has turned into a national movement. Um, gives me goosebumps when I talk about it. Well, it's amazing sometimes that that emotion will really, you know, get you moving on something that you would have otherwise, you know, let go. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so tell a little bit about what Two for One Sports does, and um, and where is it going from here? Yeah. Again, I, I apologize. I get going sometimes, and uh, if it, by all means, just cut me off if I'm yapping too much. But <laughs> sorry. So, so you know, our model obviously was around sports sampling, and, and sports sampling is just that. We want to whet the appetite of kids around sports because what happens very often at a young age is Kids try out for a sport, and they're either really good at it and get a lot of positive feedback from the adults in their lives, but developmentally, they don't really know what that means. They just know they like the feedback. Or, conversely, the kids we don't hear about are the kids who try out and get cut or don't have a good experience, and then they just sort of fade away, and we don't pay attention to them. Mm -hmm. Sport sampling allows us to pay attention to both the narrow end of the funnel, all those kids who excel, as well as the wide end of the funnel and capture all those kids that otherwise may have had negative experiences with their first uh, endeavor with sports. So what we have found is that by giving a, doing a sports sampling approach, it allows for kids to try sports without the commitment that a full season sometimes will involve. So, you know, for example, uh, you know, one of our, our, Go-to examples is Maddie Hooper, who is now a junior at the University of Connecticut. She came to our camp um, as a soccer-only kid going into eighth grade, and she was everybody knew her as this great soccer goalie. So she came to camp, and she did basketball, and she did um, lacrosse. And uh, three years later, she was an All-American lacrosse goalie being recruited by UConn. And she wouldn't have even tried lacrosse had she not had the one-week opportunity to realize wow, there's more to life than just soccer. And it was a, it yeah. was just a better skill set for her. And I think I just get sad thinking about how many people are out there in this world who could be excelling at something that they've never been exposed to. I mean, think about it. What if, what if Gretzky was never given skates? What if Michael was never given a basketball? What if Mozart was never given a piano? You know, I mean, it, it, we, we have to expose kids for them to be able to say, yeah, I don't like this. Oh, wow. I think I like this, and I want to try it a little bit further. So that's that's what we do with our sports sampling approach and what we're trying to do now in our school-based programs. Well, and one thing I like about that, too, is, you know, we, we talk about this on a you know, youth sports level, and a lot of the interviews I've done up to this point, we talk about youth sport development. And um, But, you know, there's also, at some time, we're not youth anymore. We're adults, and we're looking around for an activity to do and if we never got to sample something, then maybe that would be a great sport for me as an adult to be fit and be active and do those sorts of things. Yep, and maybe exactly. if I'm a if I'm a football player from the age eight on, after I leave high school, really, I mean, how how many places are you playing tackle football or 
maybe a, an adult flag football league, but you start looking around going, well, what else? Is, there's got to be the other things for me to do, and there's you know great lifetime sports out there, tennis, basketball, volleyball. Uh, I just interviewed Ken Martell, hockey, um, oh, yeah. that, you know, that have great adult leagues, but and he points out hockey's a funny example of um, if you don't start skating before 12, you really are, or about before 14, I think he said, you, you really are kind of a disadvantage if you try to pick up hockey then. But then as an adult, you get on there and you're right where everybody else is. And But if you've never sampled that or something, it can be really hard. So I think even aside from just that youth sport development from, a, from a, another aspect, more of a public health one, it exposes people to things that are, you know, maybe really helpful to them later on. Um, Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and you know, and that's part of what we're trying to teach at a young age. And then they're going home to their parents and relaying it to them. And it's funny how many parents have said, you know, I never really thought about this whole crossover concept of one sport to the next. Uh, I, yeah. You know, having been a college basketball player, I got to play against a bunch of guys who wanted uh, playing in the NBA. But one of my favorite stories was being uh, at Manhattan College and I look over and I say, God, that guy looks familiar. And uh, he's hitting tennis balls. And it was Pearl Washington. I don't know if you remember Pearl Washington from Syracuse. I do. Yeah, he was a great, great legend. You know, he, he didn't turn out to be a great pro and he sadly died a couple years back. But he's in there hitting tennis balls. And it was the first time anybody ever said to me, I said, why are you playing tennis? Why don't you come over and play hoops? He goes, I'm getting, be- I'm getting better at basketball playing tennis right now. So what do you mean? He goes, oh, this yep. is a great crossover sport. So here was the guy, sure. maybe one of the greatest crossover dribbles known to man at that point, and he said, it's a great crossover sport. And I and I think that might have been the first seed planted in my head about the concept of crossover skills. But think about it. Lateral movement, yeah. eye-hand coordination, same sort of fitness is required. Uh, you got to yep. jump if you're going to go up for a lob and, you know, all sorts of things that crossover well. And I got the sense from watching him play with joy it helped him to miss basketball. I always told people that, you know, playing soccer in high school, I was good at soccer, probably better at it than I was at basketball. I just didn't like it so much. So what yeah. it did, though, it helped me to miss basketball. I couldn't wait to get indoors. I couldn't wait to use my hands. So all of a sudden, <laughs> this, you know, this transfer of sports, it was like a new season, you know, and I and I really got this joy about going into the gym that I think a lot of kids who are playing basketball year-round right now, they don't play with joy. And, you know, so anyway, right. a tangent once again, but to your point is that that's what we want. We, You know, physical literacy, which I'm sure we'll talk about it here, is a journey. It's not a destination, right? So you, you, you want to create this concept with kids that you're not doing this for the test. You know, this isn't just study your vocabulary and now you're done on Friday. This is something we want to become internal, that for the rest of your life, you want to be a mover. You want to play, that that this is that important to you in the same way that literacy, reading, you are, we want you to be a reader for life. You're going to use numbers the rest of your life in numeracy. Physical literacy is you're going to use the fundamental movement skills, the building blocks of all this sport play that you're doing, you're going to use it for the rest of your life. And that's the point. Yeah. You know, Dave McCann and I have had this discussion about the, the, the term physical literacy, and we will come to that in a second. And, um, and neither one of us, neither one of us are really in love with that term. And, and 
I don't know. I, don't, I can't speak for Dave on that. And for those who don't know, Dave McCann used to be the uh, U.S. Olympic Committee Director of Coaching Education and now has his own little shop consulting business to to help um, local entities out. And uh, he's a definitely a proponent of what we've been talking about and uh, better educating coaches and youth, proper youth development. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we've tried to, you know, I sort of pitched the idea of calling it physical proficiency. Mm-hmm. As an idea of trying to become proficient at being at good physical movement, and uh, so we, he and I every now and then kind of go back on that and try to figure out is that really the right term for it or not. But uh, I think I think physical literacy probably has much more uh, grounding at this point in time uh, with that. So speaking of it, why don't you describe what physical literacy is and why is it important? Yeah. So thanks, and I, and I, and I like I like where you're going with that, but I think what what proficiency does is it might speak to um and i and i suppose to the word proficient has a connotation that it it meets a minimum standard so i and i don't know oh. if, you know if for for that reason that might be that would be my first sort of reaction to it but as, as far as so we got to the physical literacy conversation simply because the folks at the Aspen Institute said to us look this is what you guys have been doing all along sure. is You've been in, through your sports sampling model and the other avenues you've been supporting, you've been developing physical literacy. And we said, exactly. So, you know, it really helped propel us to, to a, a place on the national stage to really not only advocate for it, which lots of folks do, but to actually program for it. So the U.S. definition, as you know, is the ability, confidence, and desire to be active for life. And if you break out those components, you can – a lot of folks in the PE world focus primarily on ability. Um, When we move into things like Positive Coaching Alliance and other coaching organizations, confidence is obviously something you're trying to build with the way that you, um, you know, act with kids. And there should be a circular nature to that if you build ability – you gain confidence. That's going to give you the desire to go sure. back and gain more ability and keep going with that. But I look at it a little more, um, uh, I don't know if creatively is the right word, but a little more broadly in that I want you to think about the five words I'm going to give you because it's A, B, C, D, E. So we talk about ability, but then we talk about behavior uh, because what we want people, sometimes you hear the word behavior and you think there's negative behavior, positive behaviors. But we talk about behavior and that we want kids to recognize that they're in control of their behavior. There's consequences, positive and negative. Then we talk about confidence, like the U.S. definition, desire. And then we add in explorative nature because we really want kids to be thinking about creativity in their play. I mean, I, I, I'm a big believer as somebody who has played a lot of soccer, who's coached a lot of soccer, that one of the reasons that tiny countries around the world can beat a country like ours in a sport like soccer is because we don't have an explorative nature in our play anymore. It's very drill, and this is how to do it. So kids don't own it in a way because they haven't explored it in the way that some kids around the world get to do. So what uh-huh. I we talk about ability behavior, confidence, desire, and an explorative nature. That's our definition of physical literacy. But what we've also taken into account is that we want kids to also explore an overall sense of wellness. So we have kids explore where their food comes from and how to prepare food in our programming. 
and we do skill-based mindfulness. We call it top thinking, top breathing. And top coming from the, you know, the great definition of mindfulness um, that really gets people thinking on purpose. So if you, mm-hmm. if you ever look up a definition of uh, mindfulness, it says paying attention in a particular way on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. So as athletes, we are often controlled by external motivators. We are often controlled by our anger. We're controlled by what we think the coach wants us to do or not wants us to do. We're controlled by the girlfriend in the stands, the parent in the stands. What we try to teach through mindfulness, through our approach to it, is how to stay centered, how to stay focused, and how to be in charge of your own behavior uh, and your own reactions to referees and situations. So, we take a real comprehensive approach to physical literacy that I think is unique to some of the approaches that, that we're seeing around the globe. Yeah, yeah, very good. So what are some, what are some specific examples of ways that, you know, you guys go about developing physical literacy? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, we, we've been, we've been studying this for about five years now and much of it has recognized that the earlier we can get to kids, the better. Um, you know, so I was talking to somebody yesterday, for example. Could you imagine um, that – because here's the thing. is People will say to us, well, don't you just do physical literacy in PE? And the answer is no, unfortunately. PE is the greatest um, avenue in schools to deliver it. But physical literacy should be infused in all aspects of a school setting because – you know, I use my school counseling hat as much as my coaching hat when I talk about physical literacy because of the mm-hmm. comprehensive nature of it. So first thing we want to be able to do in youth sports, school settings, is we have to reintroduce free play in some capacity. We have to give kids the opportunity to just show up and be able to do small-sided games. And, I mean, kids don't even know how to pick sides anymore. If I, if I go oh, to a yeah. park with, with, with some kids, all right, why don't you guys split up and, and let's play? They look at me like I have two heads, and I'm like, what's, what's wrong? Well, no one's ever done that for us. People usually just pick the teams. Can you do that for us? And I'm like, right. no, figure it out. And I know there's this fear of, all right, you got captains, and the worst kid's going to get picked last. There's other way to teach kids to split teams without having to do the captain thing. It's just, all right, you go there, you go here, you know, whatever. So I think that that's part of it. But if we don't incorporate free play, kids won't have, have that opportunity. Certainly sports sampling in, in our, in settings is a way to introduce physical literacy. Kids will just naturally be able to see the crossover, uh, effect from one sport to the, uh, to the next if we, if we have them sample sports in programming. You know, and even in our coach training, we talk about ways to use a sport like ultimate, for example. You know, ultimate frisbee, everybody thinks, well, I don't have a frisbee. Well, you know, one of the best ways to teach spacing in soccer is to have the kids pick up the bat, pick up the soccer ball and use their hands and help them understand that you can play backwards in order to go forwards. And that if everybody yeah. comes to the ball, now it's really hard to pass the ball. So it teaches spacing. And now all of a sudden they're like, so what's this game called? And then they realize they can do it with a football in their hands. Or we do it mm-hmm. with volleyball where they have to bump it in order to, um, in order to move it up the field. So, you know, exposing kids to other things like that. Like we talked about before when developing physical literacy, we infuse skill-based, we call it top thinking, top breathing, thinking on purpose. Because people have this weird connotation sometimes of mindfulness, you know, that it's 
got a religious connotation or it's got a uh, yoga connotation. So yep. we just want people to see it's it's like anything else. It's a skill. We don't know we don't know how to calm ourselves down. We don't know how to focus. Fun, funny, quick, funny story. So I'm a freshman uh, uh, basketball player, and uh, I, I'm on the foul line. Four seconds left, down one, and of course I'm like nervous as all get out. So I look over at my Chris Farley looking coach who's stomping his feet and he's red faced and he's yelling at me. He's going, "Relax, relax." <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, "You're not helping me right now." And uh, I didn't know how to calm myself down. He didn't know how to calm himself down as a coach. And so one of the things I've learned as a counselor for the past 20 years is that kids are already hyper-anxious by nature. We're in an anxious culture. And I have people that say to me, well, look, we do that in health class. We do that in PE class. And I say back, well, said you did it to a, in a fourth grade health class. That, you know, your mom and dad took you to piano lessons as a fourth grader. And now you're a, now you're a tenth grader and you haven't playing the piano? Of course not. So if we don't build how to infuse mindfulness or skill-based thinking and breathing, into our lives and into our days, how are we going to be able to do that throughout our lifetime? It can't just be a snapshot like going to a workshop exactly. and now, now you think you're proficient at it. So, I mean, it's one reason why coaches like Phil Jackson are so successful. He built it right into his regimen. You talk all the, to the players that played under Phil Jackson, who's a coach that most people have heard of and respect, and he, yeah. he believes in this concept, but you can't just teach it as a one-stop shop and expect kids to do it. So we have even found in our programs that we have to reinforce it with our coaches to make sure that they're then reinforcing it with the kids. And like anything else, we should be practicing it as adults because then we're more likely to own it when we teach it to kids. So those are just some of the ways that we infuse physical literacy in, into what we do. Right. And, and one of the ways that you guys teach this is you offer clinics. Yeah. You know, what um, What do you do at these clinics? What could a, a parent who's dropping the kids off at the clinic expect for their kids to do during that time? Yeah. So we have, you know, our our core product, if you will, uh, in these clinics is what we call Plus Physical Literacy United States. We used to call it Physical Literacy using sports sampling, but because we do more than just sports sampling, uh, and we do um, in our school based programs, uh, do the healthy cooking and the mindfulness piece. We want to make sure that people see it's more than that. So that said, we also have our camps, which are in, in various places around the country. Uh, we just got a call that school in Toronto wants to do them. We, we, uh, it looks like there's a good chance we're going to be in Nevada and in Arizona this summer, as well as our camp out in Denver and then, of course, the ones here in Connecticut. And those are traditional sports sampling camps where a kid could show up on a uh, – on a Monday morning, and they will have chosen three sports minimally of the offerings we have. So in Connecticut, okay. we have one location with 11 different sport choices. In Denver, we have six different sport choices. When we first started, we'd only do four. So the kids will do about two hours of that sport as period one, if you will. Then they get a 15-minute break. They will change their gear, get a snack. Then they go to sport two, have a lunch. 
then they spend the afternoon doing sport three. And they stay with those three sports all week. And what we try okay. to do is get kids to choose sports that they've never done before. Because, you know, you might get a kid who comes and he's really good at, say, tennis. Well, our camp is not the kind of camp that you're going to come to to get better at tennis if you're already a good tennis player. So okay. we encourage kids to choose something that might be a good crossover for you or, or something that you may have never otherwise tried before because that's the whole purpose of it. Now, that said, you might get a kid who lacks a little bit of confidence and says, well, you know, I want to be the proverbial man at, at one sport, so I have some, you know, I got my go-to, and then I'll just choose, choose two others. And that's fine. You know, that's one way to uh-huh. do it. We also do preseason clinics at uh, primarily at high schools, and what they are are what I call tryouts for the tryout. They're usually done about one week in advance of this of that sports season. We do them in all sports: field hockey, volleyball, lacrosse, uh, tennis, basketball. And what the reason we do that is we have found that a lot of kids are afraid to commit to the whole season, and as a result, they just say, "You know what? I'm just." Basically, what they're saying is they're afraid of getting cut. Yeah. And so what what we try to help them see is like, look, why don't you just go and go to the clinic and just see how it feels? And they're, they're like, well, I, you know, I haven't touched a basketball since last winter. And then all of a sudden, after four or five days of doing this clinic, they're like, you know what? I'm, I think I'm going to give it a try. And we've had sure. so many kids who said that, or parents, that if they didn't go through that process there's no way they would have gone to the actual tryout. So with part of the definition of physical literacy being confidence and desire, the clinics are designed to do just that, you know, help kids to recognize that they do have ability, give them a little bit of confidence to go to the tryout, which gives them the desire to keep keep staying with the process. Because it is, it's a long commitment. And like good, a lot of good parents, they'll say, Look, if you commit, you're not allowed to quit. You got to stay with it. Exactly. And so, you know, what these clinics have done is they provide the opportunity, uh, you know, to let kids try out, to try out. And we, we, you know, a lot of what we'll do is we'll teach those things that coaches are looking for that are intangibles, regardless of the sport. Like if the coach says, "Hey, can everybody go rack the balls?" and you go and get water while everybody goes and rack the balls. Well, you just got an X mark next to your name, and you're likely not to make it because you're not a really good teammate. You know, those sorts of things that are common for whatever sport you might be trying out for. Right, right. I, I like that preseason idea because, you know, it's just sometimes knocking the rust off. Like you said, I haven't picked up a basketball since last winter. and Exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, and now I decide kind of late maybe I want to play basketball. And, you know, I, man, a few days of being on the court and passing the ball and shooting, yeah, I get my confidence back. Um, rather than they're just easy, going in cold. They're easy to set up. You know, usually what, what's, you know, what's really cool, too, is like this week we did one here in Connecticut, and, you know, there's, it's not at, at all uncommon to have men coaching girls. It almost has right. come to be expected. But the way we've set up our model is because in most states you can't have early access to your kids. You can't be running a, a, a sports-specific trial. So what we'll often right. do is we'll have the boys coach coach the uh, do the clinic for the girls and the girls coach do the clinic for the boys and so this week um we had um Brittany Huggins who's a former division one basketball player great coach coaching these boys and it was the first time any of them had ever been coached by a woman and so I checked in with them on Wednesday of a, of a four-day clinic and they and they say they said how's it going they go man she's tough 
And I loved it, you know, because I, I <laughs> yeah. think they just they get this. And so what it does, it helps create a little bit of equity. It helps get kids thinking outside of their own comfort zone. And I think it's good modeling for boys to see that and for people around the country that, you know, what's happened to us? Like, why why are we so one-sided in that direction? I know there's cultural reasons and, and maybe it's availability of coaches and willingness on women's part to coach to coach boys. But I love it as the father of daughters. When I can when I can see women coaching boys, uh, man, I love it. Any opportunity I can get to do that, I try to do it. Yeah, well, and I, I think, like you said, I, I think just as important maybe for the boys to have a female coach. I think it's really important that other that other little girls see a female coach in that leadership role and, and going, hey, wait a minute, I can do that too. Um, exactly. Part of it. So, exactly. and there aren't very many of them. I, I I'm old enough and. I, I think we're probably right around the same age and where I remember when college basketball, women's college basketball was not part of the NCAA for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. And it was the AIAW, I think. And I may exactly. get my alphabet soup wrong on that one. And and it's really fascinating to watch when it became NCAA sport. Um, and I don't remember the exact numbers. The number of women coaches who were, you know, coaching women's collegiate basketball, it was overwhelmingly women. And then gradually over time, you, you can go back and look at the numbers. Gradually, it became more and more and more and more men coaching women's basketball. And I always found it to be just the, this a strange change. And and I went to university. I went to the University of Georgia as an undergrad, and we have a great women's basketball coach, a guy named Andy Landers, who retired just a couple sure. of years ago. Sure. And Andy had to have been there in like 30 years. But it, it was, it was, but he was kind of unusual at that time when he started coaching the women's team. He was in the minority. And by the time he left, he was in the, the, the strong majority on that one. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk to somebody who can explain what happened with that. You know, someone more knowledgeable than I am about that area for sure. Yeah, well, we're in, we're in Yukon territory here, so you know, GRM is, is is next to God to to, to a lot exactly. of folks around here, and um, you know, we we always were uh, until Pat Summit got got sick and everybody realized her brilliance. Um, you know, yeah. was that big rivalry between the two, but oh um, yeah, and as much as I uh, admired, you know, um, I, I I wish that. Um, I wish that he was female, quite frankly, because I think that there's, like you just said, there are some, um, there are real messaging um, things that need to happen in sports, and we need to get more women coaching um, because it's yeah. it's just it's just that important. But you know, as two men talking, sometimes it's easy to say that, but yeah, but my women colleagues appreciate hearing it, and I know the folks listening to this probably have their own insights and thoughts about what are some things we can do to try to uh, make that happen around the country. So, but what's part of what's cool about what we're doing with physical literacy in schools is, you know, we do teacher wellness as well. And what we're trying to do is tap into the fact that all people are movers and that we want people to, um, that are in the giving profession to make sure they're taking care of themselves so that they can then better take care of the kids in their care. And because the schools we go into are predominantly women, probably 70 to 80 percent often, um, we're, that messaging is coming across in the work we're doing in physical literacy on the school side. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, all right. <clears throat> a couple of things here because I know you've got some uh, appointments coming up here. So I wanted to yeah, hit yeah. on 
Um, one last thing here. I, I was I was going around your website a while back, and I saw the two-for-one mile challenge. Now, as a guy who is a runner and a track and field background, that that just like, oh, I like this idea. So um, explain more about the two-for-one mile challenge. Yes, you know, it's funny. People are always like, you know, I'm like, they, they say I'm, I'm such a branding guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't I have no marketing background. I don't have uh, really any business degree or anything. You know, I'm an educator my whole life, but um, I'm always playing with the numbers 241, life too short for just one sport. So at our camp, we have 24 run. So that's our running program. We have 24 okay. fun. That's a choice they can make when they, when they just want to do the free play activity. And so I'm always trying to tie in 241. So even our, uh, when we first came up with uh, our own modified definition of um, physical literacy, the U.S. definition being the ability, confidence, and desire to be active for life, we said the ability, confidence, and desire to be active for one extraordinary life. And so we built it in there. So then I was, I had read the book um, Grit this summer by Angela Duckworth. Uh-huh. And, uh, Oh man, what a great book. Everybody should be reading it. And yes. part of what got me thinking as someone that um is in this space is that we're very we're a very quick fix society and kids, you know, how do you teach grit? You know, you can't just say toughen right. up, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. So often in my counseling role, I would have a kid who would say, Hey, I did my homework every day this week and I'm like yeah, so you just told me you did what everybody else does and is expected to do. Why Why should I celebrate that with you? And I know that comes across as a little bit harsh, but it speaks to the fact that kids' goals are so short anymore. They just they mm-hmm. want immediate feedback for very short-term things. So we came right. up with the, the concept of the 241-mile challenge because a lot of times – Kids get overwhelmed when they say, well, I could never run 5K or a half marathon or whatever. And they they have trouble setting goals. So I looked at the calendar and said, ironically, from September 30th to May 31st, which incorporates almost every school calendar in the country, right, those dates, yep. there's almost exactly 241 dates. And I said, wow. well, if we make it a school year challenge and we figure out a way to create a competition around it and we create a calendar where kids can keep track, what if we just said, we just want you to run one mile per day? And, and we, you know, we use social media to say, hashtag, it's only a mile. Then mm-hmm. what it does is it helps kids to say, you know what, I can do a mile. And then they can look at the longevity of it and say, oh, my God, by the end of the year, by the end of the school yeah. year, I will have run almost 10 marathons, you know, 24, yeah. you know, 241 miles. Obviously, you'd need 262 to do uh, the 10 marathons, but it's close. And what yeah. it does is it creates habits over time. And and what we've been trying to say to schools and, and kids is don't do what a lot of people do with New Year's resolutions is, well, you had you missed a day on your goal. I might as well just yeah. quit. You either right. can say, I'm going to do two miles or in going for 241, if I only get it to 189, that's still 189 more than I was probably going to do. I'm moving towards grit and resiliency. So it's really a way to to infuse that concept of physical literacy that it's a journey, that it it's not mm-hmm. you're teaching to the test 
and it's over when you get to that destination. So um, it's been picked up by, uh, you know, we had a, a school district in Arizona reach out to us and said, this is brilliant, we're going to do it. We're, you know, we just sort of soft-tossed it out there this year to see what people thought of the idea. It's been very well received, so we're going to make it more formal next year when the school year starts to start encouraging competitions and tracking it a little bit better um, because we needed to get the feedback that people liked the concept. So I appreciate you bringing it up and, and that and the feedback you gave us on it. Yeah, I, I tell you, I, I mean, again, I'm a, I'm a track and field guy, so anything that I can do to get kids running and stuff is uh, is, is something I'm going to try to help promote. All right, got a couple of wrap-up questions for you. Actually, one question I had you and I talked earlier about, you are now partnering with another organization. Why don't you elaborate on that a bit? Well, we're not partnering in, 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 in as much that we've actually created the National Association of Physical Literacy. And what we have found is that 241 Sports, because it has a sport connotation, sometimes it can turn people off. Because not everybody in this world's experience with sport has been a positive one. Right. And at, at the end of the day, you know, I'll give you an example. My two sisters, my parents are from Ireland, I think I told you at the beginning of the, of the podcast. And so my two sisters are incredible athletes. But they really weren't exposed to sport because culturally, that growing up, that was just where we were at in our lives and where my parents had come from. But they are both world-class Irish step dancers. So they now run one of the largest um, uh, Irish step dance schools in, in America. It's um, called the Boyle School of Irish Dance out of Northern Virginia. And they, you know, they're very well known. And they're just incredible uh, athletes. And, if you know, dancing is as much a part of physical literacy as anything else. So we have really taken to the idea that we want, we don't want kids that have negative experiences with movement to not think there's not other choices. That's the whole exploratory piece. So by by forming a national association, the, the intent of it is to bring like-minded folks together to really spur this movement on and be able to talk with folks at the national level, the national governing bodies at the USOC, the multi-sport organizations, like we're in conversation with Boy Scouts of America, YMCA, Boys and Girls Clubs, the Jewish community centers around the country. So we got that national approach, but then we take a boots-on-the-ground, grassroots approach, which has been fundamental to our movement, and we work directly with local community organizations, local schools, et cetera. So um, the website is NAPLUSA. Um, we've just done a soft launch of it, um, our website that's still in progress. Uh, folks can take a look at it. But really, I think over the next 12, 15 months, our intent is to galvanize like-minded people around this concept and really start to have physical literacy become part of the, the culture of uh, schools and multi-sport organizations in general. Well, that sounds like a great endeavor and um, and, and a good add to the mix on what we're trying to do here. Thank you. All right, All right Steve, let me wrap up with a, a few questions here. Um, these are questions I've tried to ask everybody anyway. My first one is a, is a coaching-related question. If you had the magic wand that could eliminate one coaching practice or one coaching habit that people have, what would that be? Oh, man. You know, I, I guess um, I, I inherited um, a no-cut varsity lacrosse team um, about six, seven years ago. And I thought, man, how am I going to be successful if I can't cut kids? 
And um, I went to the state semifinals for two years and the state quarterfinals for two years without cutting anybody. And, man, oh, man, am I grateful for the fact that I wasn't given the option. I just had to figure it out. So I think yeah. if I had if I had a magic wand, I would create opportunities for coaches not to cut and figure out ways to be creative to keep all the kids that want to be part of their program in the program. And I understand there's space issues and there's volume issues and, and all those, but I think we're too quick to say I want to win and it's easier if I have fewer better kids as opposed to forcing folks who are in this space to figure it out. Winning is really not that important. At the end, I, I don't know what my record is. I can now that how far I went those seasons to you know, exercise a point with you, but I don't really care what my resume says about wins and losses. What I care about is did I have kids involved that had a good experience? So I think that would be it. No cuts. Yeah. That's a great one. That's a great one. All right. What's the best advice you ever received? Uh, in anything in general? Sure. So um, I was a, uh, a college sophomore, and my RA, um, you know, resident assistant, the guy was in charge of the dorm floor, kept hearing me say, I can't wait for Friday. I can't wait for spring break. I can't wait for the next game. One day he got really mad at me, and he, <laughs> and he, and he said, can you stop saying that? And I'm like, what's wrong? Because you keep saying I can't wait. He goes, you can wait. It's going to come regardless. Just enjoy the moment. And he was, like, passionate about it. And, and man, I'm sh- I don't even remember the guy's name. I'm sure he probably doesn't remember saying it to me or whatever. Right. But it, oh, it always stuck with me because I think we are so quick to wish our days away in ways that don't allow us to be present and live in the moment. So when I coach, one of the things I try to say to my kids is no regrets. When you come back in the next timeout at halftime at the end of the game, we break off all our huddles with no regrets. And what it does is it gives that sort of mentality of live in the moment. The the end of the game is going to come regardless. The end of this season is going to come regardless. So let's enjoy what we have. So it's funny. It was a it was a it was a tiny piece of advice over 30 years ago. Always stuck with me. Well, I, I have two things with that. One thing, I was a resident assistant in college, so I appreciate that a resident assistant made an impact in your life. Love it. And if you ever get a chance, if you if you find there's a real short TED talk about seven minutes called the lollipop moment. Okay. And if you, if you if you watch that, I think you'll go. That's exactly what happened to me. And it's it's a great perspective because it's from the perspective of the person who gave that piece of advice. Okay. And, I'm um, myself and a note right now. Myself. Yeah, Love the it. lollipop moment. I'll, I'll put a link on for listeners on there. It's become one of my favorite TED talks, and which is saying a lot because I have a lot of favorite TED talks um, on that. And great. Um, who who do you read? Uh, blogs or authors or uh, you know anybody you read consistent? Or you, you mentioned um, you mentioned Grit, Angela Duckworth's book. Um, yeah. Any other recommendations for folks? Yeah, I mean one of my all time favorite books, um, The Power of One. You might have seen the movie. Um, it, you know, I read it a long time ago. My best man lives in Australia. had had recommended it to me. Uh, I love John O'Sullivan's stuff, Changing the Game Project. Um, I, you know, he's a, he's a great guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit at different conferences and what have you over the years. But if people 
want to, uh, he gets it. He gets youth sports, uh, in a way that, um, is pretty significant. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm a, a constant reader of, um, all things physical literacy. So I, you know, I, I hope that mm-hmm. people recognize that, um, Google has the capacity that if you have a topic that you're interested in, you can put it as an alert. So anytime the sure. term physical literacy is used any place in the internet, every day I get it in my inbox. And so it's a yeah. really interesting way for me to be able to stay on top of all trends around physical literacy uh, that are out there. Um, John Rattay's uh, book, Spark, I think is a must read for anybody in this space. Um, he's the Harvard uh, uh, brain uh, scientist who talks about how exercise is essentially a medicine replacement for all the things in today's society that we prescribe medicine for, whether it's attention deficit, whether it's anxiety, depression, eating disorders, any any of the ailments that are so common to today's world, he, through science, proves how exercise is a better replacement than medicine. So that's, that's, that's one I would suggest that everybody read. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the American College of Sports Medicine has adopted the exercises medicine, you know, mantra for that um, oh, as yeah. part of it and as a former ACSM member a while back. And my last question that throws some people off. And, oh, I, and I should I should plug something here. Uh, John O'Sullivan is going to be a future guest on the podcast. So, in fact, I'm uh, recording with him uh, not too long from now. And so uh, uh, he will be a future guest as well. Great. So, uh, Steve, last question to send off here is, um, and, and you can cut this shorter if you want to, but I've asked people, who are the five people living, dead, or fictional that you'd like to sit down and have dinner and, you know, glass of wine with or beer, whatever your choice is on that? <laughs> uh, well, depending on who it was, I, it, it might it might decide whether it was wine or beer. Uh, True. So, because uh, I think, you know, I think Pope Francis would, would be one of them. Uh, I you know, right. certainly, certainly as a, as an Irish Catholic, uh, in, in sort of his, so, so he'd be a wine guy, I think, because, you know, yes, he's, he's lived, so. he, he is living in Italy right now. But then I was going to say my dad's dad, who's, um, who, you know, I just liked to, to, to know him. Um, you know, he, he raised his 11 kids on the farm in Ireland that my, wow. that his oldest son still lives in. Um, and my mom's dad, um, his oldest son still works the farm where they were all born and raised, 13 of them. Wow. So I think, you know, I think that those would, would both be cool. Um, I got a chance to present the concept of physical literacy on stage after the first lady last year, Michelle Obama, and she spoke with her brother, who many might know is a college basketball coach. And, yeah, he was uh, Oregon just, State, I think, for a exactly, while. Exactly, yeah. And so yep. they talked about growing up on the south side of Chicago, but they had a conversation in the way that, you know, my wife and I have conversations with our brothers and sisters. There was just a real sort of genuine folksiness. I'd like to hang with these people way about them. So, I, you know, I think I yeah. would, you know, and I, and I know some people get all politicized when they hear podcasts and things like that, and just because I would be of interest to me to, to speak with them, I – I hope that people can pull aside some some of that stuff. Um, you know, I, I and I think you know this is going to sound way you know pretty cliche, but John Wooden would probably be the last one I'd put on there. Um, 
you know, he there was something about his um, his calmness as a coach that I think is so yeah. lacking in in his wisdom and the fact that I never got the sense that he thought of himself as coaching basketball as opposed to coaching people. And I've tried to right. live by that by that mantra in terms of you know um, we we coach kids we don't coach specificity. Um, and that he valued relationship and recognized that winning takes care of itself if you do all the other little things, and that winning should not be the focus. It can be an expectation, but it should be an outcome of building relationship, good practices, and uh, in, 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 in creating genuine teams. So I think that there's my list for you. That's a that's a that's a good list. That's a that's a that's a grade A list right there for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wooden is uh, a name that pops up uh, throughout previous podcasts, and I think we'll go forward as I talk to coaches and coach educators and things. And, and the beauty of Wooden to me was always, I think he saw himself as a teacher, and he was a teacher. People forget he was a high school English teacher in Indiana for for a long time. And I yep. think that really comes through in his coaching that he is really a teacher, and and like you said, you're you're teaching and coaching people. You're not coaching, you know, basketball really. Exactly. Uh, well, good. Um, all right. Well, Steve, thanks for taking time out of your schedule, and um, want to get you on again. There's there's a ton of other topics I can think of that we can explore, oh, and uh, talk with help to grow this, this idea. Yeah, yeah it's great. You're isn't? passionate about it. Yeah, I love it. I love the passion for sure. All right. So, uh, again, thank you very much for joining us, and um, I hope everybody has a good day. You're very welcome. All the best, Sam. Bye now. Bye. Hey, thanks, everyone, for joining me for this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, Again, reach out to me with feedback, either through Twitter, Smarter Coaching, my email address, smartercoachingllc at gmail.com or via the website smartercoachingllc.com Also, if you've not done so, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, leave some comments there, but uh, give me some feedback on how I'm doing. I'm really interested and looking to improve the podcast. Hope you have a great week and hope to catch you back here on the Smarter Coaching Podcast on our next episode.